0: Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. I have a word that I am excited to share with you all today. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. we We're going to read 17, 1 through 8. 17, 1 through 8. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen, and it reads, look at that, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, hold on now, after six days, who took them? I just want to make sure we read that correctly, okay? Who took them? Say it loud, who? Okay, we're all on the same page. Now the six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Man, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah, somebody say Moses and Elijah. And appeared to them talking with him. They were having a good old revival. These three had every patriarch, every ounce of their faith and believing and religious experience was in the same place at the same time. This was an incredible moment for them. For them, this is the top of their religious experience. We got Jesus, not just Jesus, but we got Moses and Elijah, but we have revival this weekend. Come on. I bet they ready to throw up flyers, right? Right? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all night long, we're going in. (laughs) They were there talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I told y'all they were excited. Lord, let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright light overshadowed him. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. And who I am well pleased, hear him. Let me read that one more time while he was still speaking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Come mm. well, on, Simon, preach the message they called Only Jesus. Somebody say, Only Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. One more time. In Jesus' name. Amen. This scripture is incredibly moving, because as I had just talked about, for these three, this is the pinnacle of their religious experience. You have to understand, they grew up learning about Moses and Elijah. These are staples, these are cornerstones, so to speak, in their faith. Amen? Moses, well-known for leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, come on, through a desert, through a, uh, uh, you know, and, and we know the story, Pharaoh chasing them and all these different things, come on, right? And, and, and so much is happening. And so in their mind, if Moses is on the scene, we're doing something right. Amen? Moses was an important figure in their faith. I mean, he wrote the Ten Commandments. He spearheaded the releasing of the law that they live by every single day. If there was anyone important for them to listen to, Moses was the guy. Y'all gonna make me preach to myself. That's all right. I'm I'm, gonna preach. I'm still gonna preach. We're getting somewhere. Moses is an important figure for them. Much of their moral standards are shaped by Moses. Much of their the way they do life and act and treat people and all these different things is shaped by Moses. So Moses has importance in great detail to them. I mean, it's called the law of Moses. So they assume, oh, my God, Jesus transfigured. He's talking to Moses. But we can't forget about Elijah. Somebody say Elijah. Elijah. A great prophet. Come on. One of the greatest of all time. You got to understand, Elijah was uh, translated, as they call it, which means outside of, uh, he's one of the only other people that, that never died. That he walked so close to God and lived such a perfect life that God literally came down and said, bro, it's time to go. Amen. I know some of us think that God should come pick us up because we so perfect. Oh, we ain't going to (laughs) go. But we not, amen, amen. That's why you still on earth. Come on, because you ain't a lot, y'all. Anyways. He uh, he does. I mean he was so perfect and they, they respected him. He was well well respected, proper, well sought after, well read. They spoke his words, they declared his words, they sung his words, they did all these different things and in Elijah's. So these guys are, I mean, they're freaking out. Oh my word, we got Jesus, who they're walking with now. Come on, somebody. They're walking with Jesus. Hold on. I'm going to break something down for you. They're walking with Jesus. They got Jesus there. They got Moses showing up. They're like, oh, my God, he's talking with Moses. So something's about to go down. Moses has come. Amen. Jesus is here. But Elijah's on the scene. And Peter is thinking, Something's really about to go down because all this makes sense when Elijah comes. I want you to do, uh, you know, if you did a quick research, a little study, you will find out that they believe that the Messiah would not come until Elijah showed up. So Peter's, oh my oh, oh wait a minute. We need to go ahead and build an altar. All three of y'all here, so it's it's time. Somebody say it's time. It's time. We gotta build a time. We're not gonna time. It's time. And as he is saying, can we we should build an altar? a tabernacle, a place that we can designate as the place where we met God. As he's saying that, the Bible says, a cloud, a cloud comes down, overshadows them, and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. Pull my well, please. Listen. Listen to him only. Essentially is what he said. Hear him. Peter, James, John. I know you got a lot of Old Covenant influence. But I need you to hear Jesus only. I know what your life has been shaped and how it's been shaped by this, this rule book and this, I, I know, but I need you to hear him. Somebody say hear him. Somebody say hear him. I don't know who I'm talking to, but about two or three of y'all need to catch this right now because you need to hear the Lord. You've been listening to everything else except for Jesus, amen? And you've been wondering why your life is going in shambles and circles and circles and circles and circles. You know why? Because only if you start to listen to him, somebody said, listen to him, things will start getting right. But the scripture says, hear him. Hear him. And then they got afraid, and when they, they looked away, Jesus taps them on the shoulder and says, don't be afraid. And they look up, and I love what the scripture says. When they looked up, they opened their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Somebody say Jesus only. I was intrigued by this scripture, and I began to ask the Lord to, because the Holy Spirit dropped this in my heart. And this week, the Lord has been talking to me about altars. Somebody say altars, altars. altars. Holy Spirit just kept talking to me about altars, altars. Altars hold a significant uh, value in the Bible. Every time somebody met with God, they built an altar. Altars were physical structures that were created. Listen now to the very exact specifications that God demanded. And if an altar was altered at all, God didn't show up. If they did not meet God's standard, He didn't show up. And this is the covenant God had with people like, I'm going to give you the specifications of how to build a tabernacle. I'm going to give you the specification of how to do this, how to do that, and you have to do it exactly how I say. And when God will show up, the people would rejoice because we got it right. Where are we going, Pastor Fred? We are going somewhere? Y'all get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready. Somebody said, get ready. It wasn't an altar. It was a, a structure created to meet with God to perform certain religious rituals. Namely, uh, they were places of worship. They were for offerings. They were for giving sacrificially all throughout the Old Testament. Sites where people would meet or devote themselves and connect with God. But the overarching theme for altars became where people would sacrifice for the atonement of their sin. Amen. So they would sacrifice for the atonement of their sin, they would build an altar and they would sacrifice an innocent lamb. And they would kill this lamb and then they would leave. The problem is, somebody say the problem. The problem. Is when they left, their guilty, guilty conscience left with them. They killed a lamb. As I said last week, they slayed a lamb but didn't slay sin. So they killed this innocent lamb and they still walk away Guilty. And they would call that, I met with God. Mm. We're going somewhere. We're getting somewhere. We're going somewhere. So they were sacred locations. God would specify how the altar should be built, their duties, and even who could approach the altars. Oh, listen. y'all. Oh, okay. Y'all understand, in modern day terms, this will be considered an altar. We would have had to go to God and say, hey, God, can we put it in the corner? And you would say, yes, it's got to be eight by eight. You need to cut the corner this way and this, that. And uh, only certain people can get on on the altar and when they got on the altar if they had something wrong with them make sure you tie a string around their leg because they might die and you don't need you can't step on the altar but somebody need to pull them off if they die, come on somebody <laughs> that is the Old Testament guy bro, that he wasn't no joke walk up on stage and die. Oh. Dang, he's sinning this week <sighs> Get us another pastor. (laughs) Everybody be all nervous as soon as they come in, walk in. I'm just kidding. So, altars were significant. The two most uh, significant altars throughout the Bible are believed to be uh, the one on Mount Sinai where... um, There's one on Mount Sinai, and there's one in the tabernacle. Amen? These are the two main altars that uh, tie the thread of salvation throughout the Bible. And essentially, all the other altars, so to speak, kind of flow into this thread. And when I talk about altar, like, the, the word altar in the Bible is found Many, many times. I was trying to do a, a little search to figure out how many times anybody it's in a lie. The thing was like, it's a lot, you know. Stop searching, dude. I was like, gee, help me out. However, though, we gotta understand something. So when you're when you're studying the scripture, can we, can we just have a little education right quick? When you're studying scripture. There's this thing called the law of first mention. This this is how it works in hermeneutics, right? If you're going to break down the scripture, you got to go the law of first mention. Amen. And from there, it rolls out. I think a lot of preachers don't don't do this. Amen. They don't they don't apply this rule to certain things like the word sin. But the law first mentioned, Noah constructed the first altar. The word altar appears in the, in the Bible for the first time in Genesis 8 and 20. It says when Noah stepped out of the ark and constructed altars, altar as a sign of appreciation and praise to God for rescuing his family. Amen? the first time it's built. Uh, as It's mentioned in the scripture, but... Theologians have suggested that the idea of altars was first brought to life by Cain and Abel when they presented their offerings to God. In Genesis 4, 3 and 4. But it can't be confirmed because we don't, we don't. The scripture doesn't explicitly mention that they built altars. Amen. However, we understand that there is this idea behind the word altar where people connect with God and sacrifice and do all these things. Amen. I began to talk to the Lord about this. I said, Lord, what is it that you want me to say? Because I, I feel like I'm going to say the word altar a lot and people are just going to check out. Amen. Like some of y'all doing right now. you know, like, oh, man. Altar, altar. The Holy Spirit said to me this. He said, Fred, a lot of people are not building physical altars, but we're still building altars. I said, what? Say it again. He said, people are not building physical altars, but they're still Building altars. I began to ask the Lord, what do you mean? He said, The problem with this, and this is why I said, Listen now, this is me having a whole, a whole conversation with the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, The problem with this is there's no requirement to build altars, but we build them anyway. There's no requirement to build these places that we say we connect with God, but we build them. And in our, in this new covenant that we're thinking about, and I, I felt like this is important today, and you, you're going to see why because. I asked the Lord, I said, give me, give me some specifics here. I need to talk about a few things because you can go a whole different, a lot of different places when you start talking about altars, Amen. And a lot of us, I think, we we say, "Oh, we're gonna put it at the foot of the altar. We're gonna live at the altar. I am submitted," and we cry, and we're noble in our disdain and beat down and self loathing, and all of this stuff that we do to ourselves because we believe that God is calling us. Oh, we gotta give a sacrifice of praise. I'm getting in trouble with this with Michael. I'm, I'm, my last point really going to get me in trouble. Okay? And we are not building physical altars, but I believe many of us are still building altars today. And I was talking to the Lord and he said, I, the Holy Spirit said, we need to tear down some altars. We need to tear down all altars. Somebody say all authors. the significance of the scripture I read is this. For them, their religious experience hinged on these three. But the voice of the Lord said, No. The other two don't matter. Hear him. Somebody say hear. Here. Him. If you listen to a voice that tells you anything outside of what Jesus would say, you're not listening to Jesus. If your religious experience doesn't look like Jesus, I guarantee you, you're not following Jesus. Oh, I better get ready for this one. If the God of your salvation Looks different from Jesus. You serving the wrong God. What do you mean? Well, the Bible says, okay, okay. Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen I am in him, he is in me. We are one. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. How does God love people? Well, How did Jesus love people? It really changed that meaning, what would Jesus do? Some of us keep asking that question, what would Jesus be? I mean, do, but I'm wondering, how, how would Jesus be? Who is Jesus? Because if you understand who Jesus is, you understand who God is. And most of us have a messed up view of God because we have not truly accepted Jesus as our Savior. And the, mm, come on, and it's enough for our sin. So what we keep doing is running back to the law to try to get freedom, and we'll never get it there. Peter, James, and John. Oh, let's build an altar to these other things and Jesus. And God says, "No, no, no! I will have no other gods before me, not even the good things." Right. Oh well, you know, I'm just following the Ten Commandments. It ain't God. Oh. I'm telling, you, I'm gonna get in trouble. That's what this. Somebody gonna email me? I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna bounce it back. I'm gonna create a <laughs> fake bounce back email. The email address you reach is not. <laughs> Biblically, scripture tells us Jesus came, fulfilled the law, and made it null and void. That's, I mean, that's scripture. But we keep trying to bring this old covenant mindset into a new covenant life. And when you do that, you struggle with sin, and when I say sin, I'm not talking about all these things that we think I'm talking about right now. Oh, it's a sin. It's struggling to sin, and you talk about all the stuff you do. But the Bible says sin is disbelief, and anywhere that you don't make Jesus enough is disbelief. Right. <laughs> Oh, my God, this is going to be a heavy one tonight. So I believe the Holy Spirit is asking us t- today, are we willing to tear down our altars? And I begin to think about this thing, and you know, I feel like the Lord's gave me a few ones I want to bring out. Amen? There's a lot of altars. But these I'm just going just to hit a few today. Y'all ready for this? I believe the Holy Spirit is first asking us to tear down our altar of (coughs) self-righteousness. Tear down our altars of self-righteousness. Tear down our altars of self-righteousness. Somebody say self-righteousness. Why is it important to tear down this altar? I'm going to tell you why. Because if you don't tear down this altar you begin to set up your own righteousness. You begin to make yourself the one responsible for the forgiving of your own sin. You're essentially looking at the cross and saying, hold on, Jesus, hold my beard. You hold my beer, Jesus, and watch what I can do for me. Because I can deliver me better than you can. Oh, it got real hot, real quiet. If we don't begin to tear down our altar of self-righteousness, and what do I mean by altar? I mean anything that you built, you say, well, this is important to my relationship with God. This is important to my faith. And so I have to not do this and not do that and not do that and not do that because if I do that, it hinders my meeting with God. Romans ten three says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. We have to tear down our altars of self-righteousness. And how do we do that? We learn about the righteousness of God. And who is the righteousness of God? Jesus. As Joshua say, it's so simple, it takes church to complicate it. If Jesus is our the righteousness of God, Guess what? Mm, y'all ready? Any, if you don't take time to seek and learn and get in, in, in that, you begin to set up your own righteousness. When You set up your own righteousness. It says you don't subject yourself to the righteousness of God. We got to tear down our altars of self-righteousness. We got to tear down these altars of self-importance and, 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 and perfection. And I have to do it this way. And I, if I pray, I must say in the name of Jesus three times. Because if I don't, heaven won't hear me. Y'all ain't never done that. I grew up like that. If you didn't end the prayer with it, in Jesus' name. The devil stole that prayer. Gonna do something with it. Like Satan's in there, like, oh, they didn't say, got it. (laughs) This is the stuff we blame. Y'all laugh because it's funny. You know, you did it. Probably last night. Woke up in the middle, like, man, I didn't say in Jesus' name. Oh, in Jesus' name. If we don't tear down our altars of self-righteousness, we will also continue to devalue people. Luke 18, 19 says, this, I mean, 18, 9 it says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Self-righteousness breeds in you this you are beneath me attitude. Well, y'all don't want me to preach about this one. Because when you think you so holy and everybody else is unholy, you look down your nose at people. Well, I used to struggle with that. You can get over it because I did. Look what the Lord did. Are you sure it was here? Because if your way of telling people they can get over issues going on in their life, is because the Lord did, what he did it for me. He can definitely do it for you. And I get it. I understand we say that sometimes. We, and, and, you know, that's necessary. But if it comes from a place of <laughs> why are you still struggling with that? I mean, we should be on past this by now. You've been at church long enough. <laughs> if he did it for me, he could definitely do it for you. Uh, he didn't take that long with me. Why he taking so long with you? You must don't want it. And what we do is we devalue people because of our own self-righteousness. I got it together, you don't. <laughs> Stay over there, please. Do you know that uh, the, the Bible actually calls partiality in church a sin? I preached a whole message a long time ago called the sin of partiality. It's when you start to be refer and value other people over certain people. Come on. We treat this person this way because they're dressed this way and they look this way. And you treat this person this way because they're dressed this way and they got a title and they do this. Come on. The Bible calls that sinful. You got to learn how to level the ground. (laughs) No, we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. There's no little I. There's no big you and little I. Come on, somebody. We are all in need of Jesus and the righteousness that he provides. So it doesn't matter what I look like, smell like, act like. Come on. When I walk in the room, I'm God's beloved child. And if you treat me any other way, you're self-righteous. Oh, it's real tight in the house. The Lord today it is. (laughs) If we don't get rid of self-righteousness, this altar of self-righteousness, we will deceive ourselves into believing that we don't need Jesus for freedom from sin. We'll deceive ourselves in believing that we can free ourselves from sin. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I used to struggle with that scripture, but then I did a little research on the audience he was talking to. These people believe, listen now, believe that flesh was so evil that flesh could not be redeemed. That's what they believe. And this is why he's saying this. And so what they would say is, we got to remove flesh and have all spirit, and there's no, no sin in spirit. You no, know, it sounds like some churches today, right? And God can't use my mortal body. I got to be all spiritual all the time. This is what they believe. And so Paul comes through and he says, hey, 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 y'all been listening to these false teachers. If you believe that you have no sin, you have deceived yourself. And the truth is not in you. And he wasn't saying that because they needed to recognize they were sinners. He was saying that because they needed to recognize they needed Jesus. separating their need from Jesus to redeem their flesh. They, listen, these people believe that God was spirit and was so good that he couldn't come in the form of a flesh. You, am I unpacking this for you a little bit more? This is what they believe. How could he come in the form of an earthly man because the flesh is evil? So, therefore, they didn't believe that Jesus actually came. Oh. And he says, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. If you believe you ain't got no sin, you've deceived yourself. Because you have deceived yourself into thinking in your own self-righteousness that Jesus wasn't enough to free you from your sins. And he came in the form of a man and died A sinner's death. He died full flesh, pierced in his side, bleeding, everything. This is what Paul's saying. Oh no, he redeemed the flesh because he came in the flesh. And you're only free because of what he did on the cross. Somebody say, tear down the altar. Self-righteousness. We need to also tear down our altars of fear, shame and guilt. Some of us have built altars of fear, shame and guilt. I could add more to that anxiety, depression, self-loathing. Amen build altars at heartbreak. We build altars at good days and bad days. We build altars at... we got to learn how to build, uh, tear down these altars. Why is it important? I believe it's important, one, because if we don't, we'll believe and buy into the illusion of separation. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in union with Jesus. Somebody say union. Separation is a myth. Separation is an illusion. And if you have this altar of fear, guilt, and shame, guess what you buy into? That it removes me from God's presence. Shame, when you walk in church, oh, I did this, so now... I don't know if I should raise my hands. Fear, I don't want people to really know what's going on me, so I don't want to cry too much, but I really need an encounter with the Lord. and all I want to do is lay on the floor and weep, but I don't want to look weak. Fear, shame, guilt, and we build altars at these places and we live there. And we got to tear down these altars because it creates an illusion of separation. I want you to hear me and hear me clearly. God wants to embrace you with all your fears, with all your shamefulness, and with all your guiltiness. Because in his embrace is where freedom is found. Yes, it happened. Yes, it was sad. Yes, it was hard. Yes, it scared you. Yes, it broke you. Yes, you went through it. Yes, 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 yes. It were, It hurt. It hurt. It hurt. Yes. But we're not going to build an altar there because that is not where we connect with God. We connect with God, not just in our fears, but in our freedom. But we will build a... Altar at the point of our pain and never build an altar at the point of our victory. If we don't tear down this altar of fear, shame, and guilt, we will never believe that we have been forgiven of all sins. Somebody say, All sins. Hebrews 8 and 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again forgive. and I will never again remember their sins. Tell somebody, I'm forgiven and it's forgotten. I'm forgiven. And it's forgotten. I'm forgiven. And it's for, okay. I'm forgiven. And it's forgotten. I'm forgiven. Come on, Michael, we gotta help me out. If we don't tear down this altar, we'll never, we'll never believe that we've been forgiven of all sins. And I said all sins. Somebody say all. all. Well, Fred? What you talking about? All? Well, what'd you do last night? Did you believe is simple? Let's forgive me. Guess what? Whatever you do next week, when you cuss that woman out at the stoplight, you know, ain't nobody. Please, McKenzie, up there, raise her hand. Please, the Lord. She slipped her hand like. You already forgiven? Somebody say, I'm already forgiven. Already forgiven. Already forgiven. See, fear and shame will have it, and guilt will keep you in this cycle of believing that God doesn't forgive you. Guilt is literally you saying, I'm not forgiven. And some of us got guilt for stuff that we didn't even do. This is the process of trauma. Because traumatize, listen, people who will traumatize you will make you believe that you did something wrong and you didn't. Say it. Say it. And you'll be walking around living out of that trauma. And you ain't ever do nothing wrong. And they broke you because they are broken. And they need freedom. But you can't free them. God has to. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Y'all, have to pray for me because I'd be like, Lord, don't worry about them. Just, just move on. <laughs> they don't want it. <laughs> but it's the truth. And we feel guilt and shame for stuff that we didn't even know. I cast that spirit down in the name of Jesus. I cast it down. You are not guilty and you don't have to live with a guilty conscience of someone who abused you. They abuse you. You ain't guilty. You have no shame. You understand? If we don't tear down this altar of fear, shame, and guilt, we will always be directed by the voice of the accuser. Amen. Amen. Revelation 12, 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah has come. For the one who accuses our brother, who accuses them day and night in the presence of our God, has been thrown out. Listen, what am I saying? Fear, shame, guilt keeps you in tune with the accuser's voice, not God's voice. If it keeps bringing you back to the point of your failure, it ain't God. Okay, I said, I'm gonna preach to you because they ain't. If it don't take you beyond the point of your failure, it's not God. If it keeps reminding you of how you dropped the ball, it ain't the Lord. If it keeps making you feel shame and guilt, And self-loaning, and and, and I I guess I'm just not good. Uh, If it makes you feel like that, it is not the Lord, and it is not a part of God's plan for your life. It is the voice of the accuser, and if you don't destroy this altar of fear, shame, and guilt, you'll always come back to the voice of the accuser. It will direct your life. It'll make you believe that you deserve what you have even if it's trash. Well, God ain't gonna bless me with a good man. Why? Why you believe that? Voice of the accuser. Because you think I deserve to be treated bad. Because I messed this up. I did this, and obviously, this is, this is my pathway. The devil's a liar. Amen? The devil's a liar. Your mama's a liar. Your daddy's a liar. Everybody who told you that is a liar. You deserve God's best at all times. And the voice of the accuser, need, you, need, you, got to, you got to shut that thing down because if you don't get out of this fear, shame, and guilt, we'll be stuck there. And this is just what God has given me. Good. No. You may not see the miracle now, but you need to still declare the miracle. See, what well, we need to learn how to declare the miracle until we see it. Man, I'm tired of declaring. Well, keep on declaring. Because God's word is yes and amen. And if you haven't seen yes and amen, come on, somebody. Oh, I know I'll get in trouble for this because, you know, people want to say, well, you just got to sit down and take it because that's what the Lord's will is. Show me that in the scripture. It's yes and amen. The promise of the Lord is yes and amen. God, can I be healed? Yes. Amen. God, can I be set free? Yes. Amen. It's, it's God's call and response. God, do I have to keep going down this, this road? Are you, can you set me free from these desires? Yes. Amen. His answer is yes. Your answer is Amen. God, can you show up on my behalf and help me with these financial struggles? Yes. Amen. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Yes. Yes. Amen. Am I going to keep going around this circle? And will I ever be free? Yes. Amen. If we don't get rid of this altar, I got I got a couple more and then I'm done, okay? We will never experience the joy of repentance. Somebody say joy of repentance. Yeah. Repentance has been a hard word for a lot of new believers, amen. Because oh my God. And you know, you hear this this uh this idea of repent means to stop and turn, don't ever do it again. And if you do, you didn't really truly p- repent. <laughs> you ever heard that? Yeah. Uh, I was reading the scripture, though, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 9-10. through It says, now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. Your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Listen, listen to this. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted, Godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted. Can I say something here? If the repentance you are doing leaves you with regret, it ain't godly. Godly grief leads you to repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation but worldly grief produces death wow. <laughs> such strong language fear shame and guilt we got to tear this altar down because we will never experience the joy of repentance repentance was never meant to be a dark evil thing oh my god you repentant now, God's. You're on God's list. That's what I was. Ta- I mean, pretty much was taught that. I was scared to tell anybody anything in church. Amen? Amen. And when you get when you live like that, guess what you do? You start to hide your issues. Now we got church producing trauma victims because everybody hiding. Oh my word! That's my God. That's, that's a podcast episode right there. That's going down one of these days. Write that one down, somebody. Write that one down. Church and Trump victims. Hiding issues because we done painted the word repentance as dark and evil. And the Bible says repentance should be joyful. Oh, Lord, I missed that SDA, you know, you know me, Jesus. You know me. I did because Why? Because you cut me off and tried me, help me. Boy, you crazy. Don't do it again. Yes, sir. We need to tear down. The next two are going to be pretty strong, but hear me. We need to tear down are altars of deconstruction. Deconstruction has been a popular term in Christianity for a little bit now. And I think deconstruction is a necessary thing for believers to go through. The danger and the trick is when you start deconstructing and you stay there. when you don't start to reconstruct, after you deconstruct, you find yourself stuck. Boy, I got bars. And when you find yourself stuck, you find yourself stuck, you find yourself angry, you find yourself mad. I went through a deconstruction. I was attending Liberty University and I start asking questions. I start wondering, why are all the theologians I'm learning from white? Why haven't I learned from a black theologian? And I start asking these questions. Why don't we read no materials from black theologians? Oh, well, you know, uh, uh. So you telling me every theologian that you learn from that's right is white? Y'all can handle this prevail, right? Okay? Can okay, y'all just handle me being real? This is the question. Needless to say, I was nicely escorted off the online platform of Liberty because of my questions. Deconstruction is yeah, and I went through a deconstruction during the pandemic. I was, I was, I was, I was struggling in a lot of ways. With this whole Christianity and his faith, why, why? Why would Jesus cause so much grief for the black community? If God is love, why don't I feel love? Well, y'all don't, y'all don't want to hear this. Y'all want not hear this truth. Why is the church that I've given my life to silent when I'm watching my? Brothers beat on national television. And then they call themselves followers of Jesus. I love Jesus. Why is the term Black Lives Matter such a problem for people? And why is it that all of a sudden we can't use reason when we hear that term? soon somebody says that, we got to make it political. Instead of what it actually means. That black lives matter. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. I know I am. But this is my deconstruction. I had to go through this. Why? God, why? Why is it? Why is it? And then I start asking questions like, why would you kill all these people in the Bible? Why would you... Do these horrible things. Why would you let people go and rape women and children? And call yourself good. And I spiraled and I went into the deconstruction. But you know what I found? Grace. I found a new covenant. I found where the word of God says, if you really want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He shows up for the sick, the poor, the broken. He talks to people that they didn't want nobody to talking to. He goes and he's, he sits with the sinners. He's in the house of the people that are most hated. He is doing all these. This is Jesus. And the Spirit said, that's what God looks like. But God is so good and so sovereign and so 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 awesome that he would also let his people misre- misrepresent him. Because if he would have stepped in and took over and said, no, you're going to do it exactly like this. I'm going to control you because I want my image to be good. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be a good God. But we got to tear down this altar of deconstruction Isaiah 43 16 through 21 says this this is what God says listen listen this is what God says the God who builds a road right through the ocean I'm reading from the message who carves a path through pounding waves the God who summons horses and chariots and armies they lie down and they can't get up they're snuffed out like so many candles listen to this Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Tear down your altar of deconstruction. Don't keep going over old history. I know it hurts. And yes, people suck. And yes, they taught me all white theology. And yes, I had to unlearn a lot of things that I thought was true that wasn't actually true. And yes, but don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. There is a new covenant. There is a new thing. I'm doing something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Rivers in the badlands. Wild animals will say thank you. And coyotes and the buzzards and Because I provided water in the deserts, River through the sun-baked earth Drinking water for the people I chose The people I made Especially for myself A a people custom made to praise me We gotta burn down This altar of deconstruction Because if we don't We will never experience the newness of God We gotta tear it down. And the Lord is supposed to be, and I was, I'm telling you, I got one more to say before I, because I don't want to end here, but the Lord spoke to me and said some of us are stuck in deconstruction. And listen, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's good to deconstruct. Because some of the stuff that we learn is trash. Not some, a lot. And we got the, the repercussions of it today. Our minds are messed up because we were taught something that was not true by God. But we can't get stuck in deconstruct mode. And many of us are there. Bible Holy Spirit is asking us to start reconstructing. Reconstruct on the grace and the love of the Father. Amen? Y'all ready for this last one? You might want to stop because this one right here might get a little tight, okay? This is my last one. We gotta tear down our altars of Christian nationalism. I'm gonna say it in the mic real good so the people online can hear me. We gotta tear down our altars of Christian nationalism. Jesus didn't die so America could be a Christian nation. He didn't, buy, didn't die so we could create a theocracy. Why is it important that we, did, we, did we tear down this altar? If we don't, we will never experience the beautiful tapestry uh, of God's diversity. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In Christ, there is beautiful diversity. We are not the same. And it is okay. Amen. Amen. And anybody tell you that the mandate of a Christian is to take over the land for the glory of God, the devil's a liar. You are deceived by your politics. I oh, was getting real tight in the house of the Lord. I'm redirecting all emails to Charles. And some of us are so, listen, you're not devoted to God, you're devoted to your politics. And you forget that the Bible is a story about a non-Western gospel. Some of us think that the Bible was written five years ago in America. They did not write the Bible in America. It was not found in America. We're so locked into our Christian nationalism, we cannot reach the world around us. Because we push away anything that don't look like what we think it should look like. It's getting real quiet in here. It's Christian nationalism. And it's an altar. And we build an altar there. And we got to burn that altar down. Somebody say burn it down. Why else? Because we'll never embrace the great commandment. How can you embrace the great commandment if you are a Christian nationalist? Do I need to read? I'm going to read it for you. The great And Jesus came and spoke to him saying, all authority has been given to me in, in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all Americans, all nations, all the nations, all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Amen. That's in red in the Bible. Jesus said it. So if Jesus said it, then why are we acting like God only loves America? I won't get no new members for this one. Amen. (laughs) The devil's a liar. We got to burn this altar down. We got to tear this altar down. Of Christian nationalism where we think God only loves us the way we are because we are certain ways. Well, God can't love the gays because they gay. And that's not God's will for them. And in my Christian nationalism, I'm going to make sure they know it. And you just is wrong there's two left shoes, amen we don't embrace if we don't tear this altar down, we'll build a church that looks like only us and not like Jesus amen I want to end with this I'm and I, I I know I went way too long. I'm going to end with it. In the new covenant, we, have no, we no longer have altars. We have a throne room. We no longer have altars. We have a throne room. Hebrews 4 and 14 says this, through 16, it says, Seeing that we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You don't have to build an altar to your weaknesses anymore. So you got to have a high priest that sympathizes with your weaknesses. Amen. But was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We no longer have altars, we have a throne room. Somebody say a throne room. And in this room, we have confidence. You ain't got to hold your head down. You can hold your head high. Amen? You ain't got to be broken and beat down. You can be broken and still stand up. You have confidence. No matter the cracks in your surface, God still sees you as whole. What's that word? What's that word? It fills the cracks with gold. This is the picture of who you are to God. Yes, I'm broken, but God, when he sees it, he sees fullness, wholeness. You're not broken in the eyes of God. You feel broken, but you're not broken. And this is why you can come boldly. You can come with confidence because I know my God sees me. In this room, we encounter grace. Somebody say grace. 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 Is the free and unmerited favor of God. Let us come, therefore, to the throne room of free and unmerited favor of God. Let us come to the throne room of grace. And I've said this many times grace is not a doctrine, it's a person. Let us come to the throne room of Jesus. Let us stand face to face with our Savior, the one who gives us free, unmerited favor with God. In this room, we encounter grace. And in this room, we obtain mercy. Somebody say mercy. I love the word mercy. Because mercy is... Forgiveness or compassion shown towards someone. Listen, it's mercy and compassion shown towards someone when you have the ability and the power to punish them. He says we have a throne room now that we walk into and we secure the forgiveness and the compassion from the one who could punish us. We ain't got to be on altars no more. In this room we obtain mercy and in this room we find grace. We find, we recognize, we discover the free, unmerited favor of God. I love this because when you think about obtaining mercy, when you walk in this room, you understand, here's, this is where I picture this storm room. I walk into this room. I know who I am. I know my mess ups. I know my hang ups. I know my shortcomings, my downfalls. And I walk in there expecting to be punished. But I come and I obtain mercy. And then I find and discover I was forgiven and now I got grace. I got grace. And I want to end with this. God is all about having a relationship with us. Amen? The Apostle John tells us that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Somebody say, came through Jesus. The law was given. Grace came. The law was given. This is knowing that the law was given implies there's a sense of distance and in contrast, grace is there is no distance I'm going to come out to you. Grace is per, is a person. It's personal. We live in a new covenant. and You don't have to stay at the altar. Past failures, unforgiveness, anxiety, name it. You ain't got to stay at those altars. You have a throne room now that you can bring your weaknesses into and obtain mercy and find grace. I said a lot of things to say today that I feel like the Holy Spirit says some of us have left and have made camp at the altar of defeat. The altar of failure. The altar of shame. The altar of guilt. The altar of I'm not enough. The altar of I'll never forgive them. The altar of I can't believe this happened to me again the altar of I deserve this the altar of this will never turn around the altar of I'll never see a greater day And some of us have made camp there and we are living there and we keep meeting God at the point of our pain and the Holy Spirit says no 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 tell them I want them to walk away from the altar of the shame and the guilt and the fear and the discontent, men. I want them to walk away from that and I want them to come to the throne room boldly. Somebody say boldly. Can you stand with me? Peter, James, and John Thought the pinnacle of their religious experience would be to build an altar to all the things that they've believed to be cornerstones of their faith. But God said, There's only one thing that matters that's Jesus. Before you build an altar, I will remove those things. Because I don't want you to build an altar to another God outside of me. But we're no longer required to build altars. We have a trauma. Amen? Somebody say a room. Can you close your eyes, bow your heads? I just want to pray for us. Say, Pastor Fred, you talked to me today. You're talking good. That was good. I need that, and I need a little bit of prayer before we leave. Just do me a favor, if you can. Slip your hands in the air. Just let me see your hand. Yep. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for those who lift their hands and say, you know, Jesus... struggling a little bit with this because I keep building altars to pain. But Lord, you said in your word, I have a throne room now. And I can come boldly. And God, I pray for confidence of your people. Here's the beautiful thing, people, is you don't need a specific place now. The throne room is dwelling inside you. Everywhere you go, you carry the throne room of God. So whenever you're facing a tough thing, you can walk into the throne room with confidence, obtain mercy, and find grace. Amen? Thank you, Lord, because we need to encounter you. I pray, God, that we would embrace this new covenant, Thank you, for the Holy Spirit, for speaking through me today. I've said a lot of words. I've spoken a long time. But I thank you, God, that we would let these words stay with us. In Jesus' name. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.